Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you about you. We thank you for sending us your Son, Jesus Christ, for in him we have encountered who you are, flesh and blood. He has shown us your love for us. He has shown us the grace that you extend to us. He has made it possible for us to come to you. So we come to you in his name. We ask humbly that we might see him all clearly. You would open our hearts and our ears, drive away the fog of our minds. We might see Christ clearly and love him and love him in way and obey We pray this all for your Lord. Words of my mouth, meditation of our hearts, and your side. It really is great to be back. Wonderful to fill this space again. Uh, if you're keeping track of my sermons, you'll know that this is not the first time I have. Preached on Jesus giving of a blind man in Jericho. It's a favorite story of mine in the But that's not the reason we're revisiting it this morning. The reason we are back again is because in our vision statement for the next five years, we have committed to cultivating an awareness of God's presence in our lives through a renewed engagement in the spiritual discipline of prayer. This story, the story of Jesus healing the blind and the maze, provides us with a really good reason in narrative form why we should be praying together as a church, as a family, and our own as individuals. It's interesting, but if you read the sermon Jesus preached recorded for us in Matthew 5, there is a of the expectation of the assumption is that you want to pray. The same for fasting and giving alms to the poor, it's another sermon for another day. In his sermon in Matthew 5, Jesus twice begins his instruction on prayer with when you pray. It's not if, but when. When you pray. And there he offers instruction about how the prayers conduct themselves. The assumption is, which naturally raises the question, are you? Are you praying? Jesus considered it a standard, assumed behavior for any Christian person, yet he previously spent a precious little time in prayer. He lost his Twitter or get swept up in the news cycle, rather than being in Jesus' assumption is that we are My assumption is that we are not. It's an assumption based on a projection of my own experience. How hard it is for me, a pastor who's paid to pray, to faithfully engage in this discipline day in and day out. There's simply two things to do. It's hard to find time to pray. Only enough to remind me, you have so much to do, you can't afford not to do it. 
She's she echoing great Martin Luther, who reportedly one day looked at the schedule for the day, remarked, I am so stupid that I must spend, spend the first three hours in prayer. Fortunately, it's my great shame, my prayer is not always been about all my Or with the distraction of all these attacks on the internet. I find it perfectly the internet and worldwide web and taking towards net web and drive to find us as a problem. Trapped by paid professionals whose job it is to break down my discipline and keep me from reaching Maybe I'm alone this experience, but my suspicion is that I'm not. Jesus' assumption is that we're praying. When you pray, my assumption is that we're not. But we want that to change. Quite frankly, we need that to change. We've written for ourselves this inspiration, this aspiration of a five-year plan that will never come to fruition unless our efforts are fueled by, driven by, renewed engagement in the spirit of discipline and prayer. Of all the things that we have written out of our vision, this is the most important thing that we can do. Prayer precedes all things that are good and true and beautiful. Sean Ramanji was here last week, preaching on Peter's vision that led to his embrace of a people racially distinct from him. But when he was praying during his luncheon, and in the act of prayer, God made himself known to Peter. He's the God of the Gentiles as well as the Jews. It was a revelation. Prayer proceeds of all things that are good and true and beautiful. It's one of the reasons why we need to pray. There is another even better reason why we should pray, which is illustrated for us in narrative form of Mark 10, the story of the healing of the blind, the blind of our lands. The reason we should be praying is not so, not only because of what we've seen. But because of the queen become process. In the story of the blind Bartimaeus, Jesus is, is leaving the, the city of Jericho with what is referred to as a large crowd. And as they're walking along the street, they pass up a blind man sitting on the side of the street asking for money. This was a common sight in the day. Nothing extraordinary about a man asking for alms. But this man that Jesus of Nazareth was walking by. And he knew that Jesus offers the Lord Jesus offers the hope of restoration. Jesus could make him see again. And so he cried out as loud as he could, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. When the people tried to shut the man up, he was causing such a scene. He yelled a louder. Praying in a loud voice, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. The efforts to silence the man were successful. Jesus heard him over the clamor of the crowd around him and asked him, as that the Bartimaeus might be walking. When the messengers he sent to collect Bartimaeus told the blind man Jesus' request to see him, the blind man says, threw off his clothes. He moved with such a great energy because he was animated by hope. 
is imperative to force him to the side of the road like he did. It was obvious that Bartleby was wrong. Despite throwing off his cloak and springing up from the ground, he needed some relief to Jesus. And yet, when he comes into Jesus' presence, Jesus asks him a question that is remarkable for its willful ignorance. Jesus asks the blind man, who can't even look him in the face because he's unsure which direction he should be looking at. Jesus asks him, Jesus asks the blind man, what do you want? Putting myself in the sandals of Bartimaeus, I can imagine several thoughts that would have run through my head if Jesus asked me, a blind man, what do I want? My first thought would be, isn't it obvious? Can you see that I'm blind or are you blind too? And then I might wonder if Jesus is having fun with me in front of his disciples in a large crowd that have already proved their disdain of me by trying to silence me. So you're really going to force me to say out loud that I'm blind, but everyone can see that it's the case. Jesus does force him to state the odds. Not because he's being or because he's ignorant of this man's obvious thing, but because the admission of the weakness, no matter how obvious it is, is a necessary requisite and it puts you in a position to see It's impossible to pray unless you recognize the image of you only ask someone for something if you don't already possess that thing in your And the admission of need of weakness is that seed is spiritual from the world. The money grows unless you can readily and openly admit your need of God. And prayer is the activity that forces the beauty Thomas Burton, a well-known Travis alone, once described prayer as an expression of who you are. We are a living in inconvenience. We are a gap. The emptiness that falls before someone. But only the most mature Christians live every moment as an understanding of themselves. In his book, Praying on All Other Rights, surprisingly mature Christians feel less mature on the inside. When they hear Jesus say, Apart from me, you can do nothing, they nod their head in the ruin. Paradoxically, you get older while you are getting less holy. Even Jesus himself, right, it's it full humanity demonstrated that the utter dependence and need that he possessed for the fall. Just as he tells his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. So also he told them, I can do nothing on my own, but as he followed Miller writes that. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything he isn't already doing. He's inviting us into his life to help us dependent on his heavenly Father. To become more like Jesus is to feel increasingly unable to do much, increasingly wearily wrong. But it's precisely this feeling of weakness and weariness brought on by the spiritual, emotional, physical circumstances of life that open the door to the prayer and then grace. Others, strong Christians pray more. They pray more 
because they realize it's weak. They're trying to hide from themselves or others. Weakness is the channel of the last of the masses of grace. Weakness, therefore, leads to the prayer and then to grace. But prayer also leads to a sense of your weakness. Because as our story shows us this morning, the confession of need is the prerequisite of prayer. Prayer, therefore, creates the conditions that are necessary for prayer. It's a cyclical effect, similar to the experience you have when you begin eating healthier or exercising more. I remember when Pauline and I first started dating, she introduced me to this edible green leaf called spinach. I was 22 years old and never eaten spinach in my life. Growing up, I was very much like an elf. I stuck in the four main food groups of candy, candy canes, candy malts, and syrup. But once I was introduced to spinach, I found myself strangely craving stuff. In fact, not too long after Pauline served me my first helping of sauteed spinach, I was driving home from work one evening and I called Pauline and her partner and I told her that I just bought a bag of spinach and I was headed her way. She sauteed it for dinner that I had an entire bag of sauteed spinach. I was like, hot life without a muscle. Prayer works the same way. Devote yourself to the discipline of prayer, and do you want to pray more and pray longer? Because prayer makes you aware of your great need of God, which will send you back into prayer. Begin to live in your weakness without being overwhelmed. It will make you humble and put you in posture ready for redemption. It's a cyclical fact. But a life of prayer, fueled by a genuine understanding and dependence of God, makes it possible to actually fulfill what is otherwise an impossible calling from Jesus. Jesus was always saying things like, the first will be last, the last first. Or if anyone would follow me, let them take up their cross daily and follow me. He calls us up to death, not power. He calls us up to service, not significance. In fact, immediately preceding the story of Jesus healing the blind of the Emmaus, James and John, two of Jesus' twelve apostles, asked Jesus for a position of power in his kingdom. And one sit at his left and right hand. And Jesus responds to their request by telling them that whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom. Jesus calls these impossible, counterintuitive goals. He must die in his He must be served in all. He must be the last. This is where you must live if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a true disciple of God. How can a person realistically live? Day in and day out there. It's last. It's only possible to live in prayer. Because prayer forces you to acknowledge and say out loud that the thing you're terrified is true to admit to anyone, which is how needy and needy actually are. No one can pray without admitting their faults and failures. 
the way they come from their house with their middle of the prayer. I don't know the way they thought of this is that's the entire point of this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The, the Pharisee is a religious man and a tax collector is really considered to be a sinner. When the temple to pray, both at the same time, when the Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, raping this tax collector here. I fast twice a week, I get tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but would his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. The very same thing Mark made to Jesus. And it was this man, the tax collector, the sinful man, that Jesus said, I need to go to For everyone who exalts himself, he said, I need to go the one who humbles himself will be exalted. True prayer, therefore, forces you to be in the position of the tax collector, of the blind Bartimaeus. You have to acknowledge your blindness and your sinfulness. True prayer forces you into the position of being last, calls you to death. And yet, at the same time, it puts you in the position to be to Jesus as Jesus to be exalted. There, the lowly state of dependence and weakness brought on by prayer, you experience the strength of the Lord. You experience his closeness, his love, his presence. The Apostle Paul had some infirmity that plagued him. No one knows what it was, although some people say it was a problem with his eyes. He prayed to God on his weakness, but God never healed him. Instead, he received this answer from God. God told him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God told Paul that he was going to leave him in weakness, but not in love. So that Paul might be able to know and experience the grace of God, the power of God, to get through each and every day with this thorn still stuck in his flesh. And the result of Paul is that he began to do something strange. He began to boast about his weakness. Because through his weakness, he encountered Christ. For the sake of Christ, Paul writes, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says something weird None of us have ever been pleased to be weak. Forces us to admit that we are them all. Jesus standing before us and says, What do you want from me? Tell me what's wrong with you. Say it out loud for everyone in here. Say it out loud so that you can hear it yourself. And in that moment, he set us up for sure. Either we are in a position to become recipients of his grace as part of his was. Or we find that in our weakness, that's what Christ is. Present here with us. To sustain us and keep us in the, in the midst of pain and hardship. He meets us in our grief, sorrow, confusion, and he takes our hand and he says, Follow me, this is salvation He makes living in weakness a sustainable possibility. He reminds himself of the 
necessary in the presence to make fulfilling his calling not only possible, but a lack of his joy reveals Jesus. And in confession of your need save yourself and leave you. You have planted in your soul the seeds of spiritual maturity and joy. Better yet, confess your need for Christ for other people here. Every Wednesday night, we meet here in the sanctuary to pray together as a church. Service on the evening office. Read scripture, pray together, and participate in the sacrament. If you've never come, or if you've come and fallen out of the habit, I encourage you to come this Wednesday. Instead, for every Wednesday after, pray with us. Discover that admitting your weakness is not such a fearful thing, but others are doing the same around you. Jesus is there with us. We'll encounter with the Spirit through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which He's given us to assure us of His love, to remind us that salvation comes from death. Salvation is for loss. Prayer is necessary for the Christian life. We're committed to renewing our engagement to this vital discipline. In fact, in the month of November, an email of the prayer request will begin going out to the church. Every other week, we do the prayer request for the congregation. We want to ask you to use this list to be praying for each other. But also, let us know how we can be praying for you. Why suffer in our hearts? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Let us know. Let us be praying for each other. There's many ways to do this. The, the, the website is uh, on the front page. How can we be praying for you? But tell us how we can be praying for you. Prayer cards in your pews. Call them off. Let your elders know. Call me. We want to be praying for each other. This is how we wrote those scriptures. This is how we wrote together. Jesus is standing before us and he's asking, be The Son of the living God has invited us to make our request known. We have been silent. He's offered a joy and very own presence, but we've declined because of meaningless interdependence. The brothers and sisters of Christ, this way, salvation lies. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.